All right, well, good morning to you. (laughs) Please take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27. And can I just say, um, yesterday, I was just really, really proud of uh, the children who came out with us. I know not everybody could come out with us, and that's okay. But it was just such a privilege to serve the Lord with the children together. Um, That is one of the things I love about Passage. We sing together. We stay in the service together. We go to Bible study together. And we're going to tell people about Jesus together. And I think it witnesses something incredible to our town when they look out and they see all different types of people because we are different from all different types of nationalities and of all different ages. It's just a wonderful, wonderful witness of the Lord Jesus. And it also helps when there's a little one handing the flyer because they can't give out to them, can they? Um, so it's a, it's a joy really to see it. Anyway, I just wanted to say that really, really proud of the children and it's so great to have them with us as always. In the Bible, in Ruth um, chapter 1, there's this account of a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, um, he leaves Bethlehem, the house of bread, because they have no bread. There's famine in the land, so they leave and they go and travel to Moab. Brings his family to Moab, his wife, Naomi and his two daughters. They end up coming and meeting, um, or it's the other way around, isn't it? Malon and Killian, the two sons, they meet the two daughters. I'm getting it wrong, apologies. They meet the two daughters in Moab. But what happens is Elimelech dies, Malon and Killian die, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth all on their own. And so they decide, Naomi decides to travel back to where they're from, from Moab, back to the house of bread. And as they travel back to the house of bread, Naomi is constantly reminding them that they should go back to their homeland. Don't come with me. Don't come with me. Orpah, she decides to leave. But Ruth says, no. Ruth says, Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Ruth leaves it all, risks it all, just to go with Naomi. And that, I think, is true friendship. She stands by her no matter what. And that's what we're going to look at today, true friendship. Because true friendship is really very, very powerful. Readers Digest, they ask their readers to write in um, comments about friendship. And one writer wrote in and said, Five months after my husband died, my two-year-old daughter and I moved 2,000 miles away from our home. I gave birth to a beautiful baby girl and she had severely clubbed feet. So she lost her husband, she has a daughter and she has another one with severely clubbed feet. 
This marked the beginning of a very long series of doctor's appointments, taking care of two young children, one of whom required constant medical attention, meant I was always tired and behind my household chores, she says. But one day, when I came home, yet from another doctor's appointment, I found the door open. I cautiously proceeded into the house, she says, only to find the floors spotless. The dishes cleaned and dried. The dirty laundry washed and folded. Man, that would be class. Upstairs, the beds were made. And even flowers were in a vase beside my bed. And it turns out that my friend Joy, while driving past my house, noticed my car was gone. And she took the opportunity to help me out. I learned an important lesson that day about compassion. And this friendship was sealed for life. Friendship is powerful. Another writer, he says, After my wife of 44 years died, I didn't feel the urge to socialize and be with anybody. But that didn't stop my friend Tony from inviting me to join a group of guys who got together every Thursday for dinner. I told him I wasn't ready. He called again the next week and I told him again I wasn't ready. He called the next week and again I said no. And every week he kept on calling me. Okay, I said, I'll go. Anything to keep him from calling me every week. It has been six years since my wife has died. And thanks to Tony, every week I go out for dinner with the lads. Friendship is powerful. We in the church often talk about discipleship. We talk about fellowship, but we actually don't often talk about friendship. And it's really very important. And this is what I love about going through books in the Bible, because the books in the Bible determine what you're going to speak about. And when you come to Proverbs, the one book in the Bible that focuses in and hones in on friendship is this book of Proverbs. It tells us so much about friendship. In fact, some people would argue that friendship is one of the key themes in this book. We need to know it and learn it and learn what it means to be friends and what friendship actually truly looks like preacher that I often read, J.C. Ryle, he says this, The world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. But the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. And so what we want to look look at is what does friendship look like? How do we pursue it? What should it look like in our lives? What do friends do? If I'm supposed to be a friend, what does a friend do? Well, Proverbs 27 verse 9 gives us this instruction. I think it tells us that friends counsel each other. This is the first thing that friends should do. Friends should counsel each other. Oil and perfume... Proverbs 27, 9 says, make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from earnest counsel. 
Friends should counsel each other. We should come alongside each other. We should help one another. And I talked the other week about the plans that we make. You know, we've been going through the topics in Proverbs and I talked about the plans that we make. And there's a a couple of points I made about the plans that we made. First, we should take our time when we make our plans. Take our time, don't rush into them. Second, we should talk to God. Third, we should talk to people. And fourth, we should trust God. And the third point there in terms of our plans, in terms of of making our plans, was this. We should talk to people. When we're making plans in life, when we're making big plans in life, we should talk to people. We should have, what did Proverbs say? Many counselors. And those counselors should be our friends. And notice in the verse, it doesn't just say any counsel. What type of counsel does it say? Earnest counsel. And as you translate that word earnest counsel, what that actually means is counsel that is from the soul. I am going to give you counsel. I'm going to give you advice and I'm going to give it from the soul. I'm going to give it from my very being. I'm going to give you advice on the basis of what it means to me. And so when we look at earnest counsel, there's a few things that I was thinking about in relation to earnest counsel. What might earnest counsel look like? Well, if it is earnest, surely it is going to be thoughtful. I think earnest counsel should be thoughtful. In other words, we should think about what we say before we advise someone about anything. Sometimes we're very flippant with our words and quick to give advice. But if we're going to be true friends who give earnest counsel to one another, we're going to think about what we say and give that thoughtful counsel. The second thing I think about earnest counsel is it's going to be patient. You're going to be patient with people. As they as they come to you, you're not going to rush to give advice. You're not going to rush them away. You're going to be patient with them. The third thing I think about earnest counsel is this. Earnest counsel should be sincere, shouldn't it? If it's going to come from the soul, it should be sincere. You should mean it. One of the, one of the great challenges for preaching isn't the hours of study, isn't the, the preparation in original languages, isn't all the reading that you need to do. One of the greatest challenges for any preacher is sincerity in preaching. That you actually mean what you say and you seek to live out what you say. That's why I've been saying to you that Proverbs has been wrecking my head recently because I come to another topic and I look at my life and I say, man, I need to grow in this wisdom. Even after preaching about anger last week. Man, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. Right? I bet all of us got angry this week. Of course we did. And the point of the sermon wasn't this. You should never get angry. The point of the sermon was this. When you get angry, here's what you should do. Ask for forgiveness. Go to the Lord Jesus. Guess what? He will forgive you of all your sins. And then go to those who you've been angry towards and ask them to forgive you too. And so here it is with friendship. If it is going to be earnest counsel, it should be sincere. We shouldn't tell someone to do something that we wouldn't also seek to do ourselves. It should be thoughtful. It should be patient. It should be sincere. And earnest counsel, I think, if it is going to be from the soul, just looking at that word earnest, I think earnest counsel listens. Earnest counsel listens. There's two types of listening, I think, out there, right? There's what I call data listening. 
Data listening is like this. You just listen to the information that the person says. So, so, so you're, you give an instruction to your kid and, and they're doing something and you say to them, did you hear what I just said? And then they come back and they give you everything you just said. They've remembered all of the data, but that's not what you mean, is it? You don't want them to just listen to the data. You want them to engage with what you've told them, listen properly and respond to it. And so when we are counseling our friends or coming alongside our friends, we don't just want to listen for information and data. We want to listen in such a way that we are engaging in what they say. What you say means something to me. I want to listen to you. I want to hear what you have to say because I want to help you. That would be earnest counsel. And if we give that type of counsel to people, counsel that is thoughtful, patient, sincere, and that listens, I believe that will help us develop sweet, sweet friendships. That not only would we seek to give this type of counsel to others, but we would seek this type of counsel out from others. I want you to help me. Wouldn't it be amazing in this church if we were able to develop sweet friendships? I pray that for us. But you know what it's going to take? It's going to take patience and it's going to take time. Do you know why? Because for the last two years we've been locked up. And it's kind of like this. I don't know if you've ever had a serious surgery. If you've ever had a serious surgery, here's what, when I got my appendix out, right? So I got my appendix out. I know you've probably got much more serious surgery stories, but that's what I'm going to go with, right? This morning, you're like, appendix. Anyway, when I got my appendix out, okay, they kind of burst actually. So that's my horror story. Anyway, (laughs) it took a while to recover. I got them out anyway. And and they told you, here's the procedure. Here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to, you know, take your time. Take your time. Don't get up too quickly. Don't rush back into it. So what happened the moment I got out of hospital? I wanted to keep going. I want to rush into it. I wanted to make the most of my life. Yet that is not a wise thing to do. I think what's happened to us in our friendships and in our lives is we've been in two years of surgery. And we're trying to get back up and rush into our lives. And it's not going to work like that. It's going to take time for us as a church and as a people, to develop these sweet relationships. But I think we should, because as friends, we need to counsel each other. The second thing I want to point out as friends is that we need to wound each other. We need to wound each other. It's the wrong verses, sorry. I've pulled out the wrong verses, sorry. I'm still in anger. Apologies. We need to wound each other. Proverbs 27, verse 6. You can stay in Proverbs 27. Proverbs verse 20, 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Kind of sounds weird that we are called as friends to wound each other, right? Why should I wound my friend? And you know when you have friends, when you know someone really well, you know how to wound them, don't you? If you have any close relationship in your life, you will know how to get at that person. All I have to say is this word, and I've hurt them. All I have to do is do this thing, and I've hurt them. And sometimes in our anger, do you know what we do? We use a word to hurt. 
Sometimes friends can do that to each other. They can wound each other by saying wrong things to each other. But this says, Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That means there are words that we can use that wound for our friend's benefit. What this is, I think, is speaking the truth in love. If we're going to be truly friends, we don't just need to cheer people on. We need to speak truth in love. That's what we need to do. That takes trust and that takes care. I remember when I started driving, driving down the Rochestown Road here. You know, my dad let me out. And it was and it was the first time I was going onto the link. You know, you're driving down the Rochester Road and you're pulling onto the link. So I'm like, here's the big man going onto the link. I can, you know, go 100 kilometers an hour. I pull up onto the link and I'm driving down the link. And here I am. I'm, I'm, I have the two hands on the steering wheel. You know, you're you're keeping all the rules. Remember when we used to do that? Two hands on the wheel. And then I start looking in all the mirrors. Remember when you used to look in all of them? You know, two seconds, two seconds, two seconds, two seconds, whatever. Then I'd throw on the indicator and you have to look again, look again, look again. And then I start moving slowly. But as I start moving slowly into the other lane, what do I hear? This big beep in the car. What happened? I didn't see him. Now, it didn't end up in a crash. I wish it did. It would have made the story way more dramatic. It didn't end up in a crash. But what I noticed that day and what I learned that day is this. When I drive... I have blind spots. I can look at every single mirror that I have, and yet I can still miss the car right beside me. I have blind spots. As human beings in our life, do you know what we have? We have many blind spots. Yes, you can see the sin in other people's lives. That's easy. Oh, I can see the sin in everybody else's life. I can point out the flaw in everybody else's life. I can tell everybody else, that's your problem. That's your problem. You need to fix this. You need to fix that. And yet I miss, I miss the sin in my own life. I have blind spots. And what you need for the blind spots in your own life is you need a faithful friend who not only cheers you on, but says to you, listen, you need to work on this. I have noticed you saying these things. I think you need to be careful with that. I have noticed you treating your husband or your wife this way. I think you need to be careful with that. And that takes great wisdom to enter into a kind of conversation like that. Some of us are ready to wound our friends. Yeah, I'll get them. No problem. I'll tell them their problems. Absolutely no problem. But it takes wisdom to do that with love and care. To sit them down. To take the plank out of our own eye before we seek to take the speck out of another's eye. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. I hope that we will be faithful friends. Not just to counsel each other, but to wound each other. The third thing I think friends must do is this. Friends must sharpen each other. Friends must sharpen each other. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this. Iron sharpens iron. And one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron. The picture there is of a knife or a sword back in the day. A a, a weapon 
that needs to be sharpened. And so you'd sharpen it with heat and you get an iron hammer or some kind of iron tool to sharpen that out. You need another piece of iron to sharpen the iron that is there. And this is what happens in friendship and what has to happen in friendship. We need each other to sharpen each other, to drive one another on to the Lord because there are some days where we cannot see the Lord. There's some days where things are going so bad that we don't have the perspective that we need to see the Lord Jesus. So we need a friend to come in and say, I want you to see Jesus. I want to sharpen you. I want to help you. I want to mold you in your life. Iron sharpens iron. We need friendships. We need each other. I think the women in our church are are teaching us something of this. It is so good. I don't know the details of the text, right? Honestly, I don't. But I know that the women have a WhatsApp group in which people are are sharing prayer requests and, and giving that to one another. And I think if you're not in that, you should get into that. And what's brilliant to hear is just even in a simple way, you can share prayer requests with each other and pray. That's a way that iron sharpens iron. And it's good. And then just thinking about about the women's Bible study that they have right now. Yes, okay, you know, we have to pick a day and the day mightn't suit everybody. Of, Of course, that's the reality. That's life. But how good is it? You know, Luana has been telling me about it, 12 faithful women. And I love hearing the stories of these faithful women who love and serve the Lord. It's so good hearing of people's lives in the past. It sharpens you. It helps you. It gives you tools for life. When I go on holidays, I bring books with me. Not the books that I have to read. I have to read a lot of books. I don't bring the books that I have to read. I bring, finally, on my holidays, the books that I want to read. And one of them, always, always one of them is a biography. Why? Because it sharpens me. If they did it, and if the Lord used them, surely the Lord could use me. And so in the women's Bible study, that's the way they're doing that. And that's actually true to Scripture in Titus 2, that the younger women and older women are supposed to interact and encourage each other and help one another and sharpen one another. One another. That's true for the women, and that should be true for the men. Last week when I was preaching, I felt something that I've felt a few times in my life preaching and after preaching, but I felt it really strongly last week. I said to the men, if you are caught up in anger or fighting in your home, men, It is up to you, I think, as the leader to initiate forgiveness, to initiate reconciliation, to stand up in your household and to lead in that way, men. I want you to do that. I think the Lord wants us to do that. I think the Lord wants me to do that. I think he's calling on all of us. But then afterwards, do you know what I felt? I felt like I need to talk to some men about this. I need to talk to some guys about this. What's this actually going to look like? Right? That's how I felt. It felt like I I, I preached, I said it, but but I want to do this with others. I want to figure this out and what this is going to look like with others. So in the church, what we're going to pray towards is what is that going to look like for us as men? 
And I don't know what it's going to look like. And we don't know just yet. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray towards that. What would it look like for the men in this church for iron to sharpen iron and provide something for the men in this church? And as we do that, men and women, could I encourage you? Encourage each other to that. Encourage each other to that. Women, could I encourage you as we seek to make these spaces for men? Could I encourage you to encourage your men out? Encourage them out? Yes, yes, they might be working a lot or away from the house a lot. Yes, that might be true. But man, they need to sharpen each other. We need to encourage each other to that and make that space for one another. Friends must sharpen each other. Now that sounds all good. Friends wound each other, friends sharpen each other, friends counsel each other. But we need to be realistic and say, friends frustrate each other, don't they? And I just want to share one verse briefly. I'm not going to talk about this verse too long. It's in Proverbs 7 verse 9. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter, repeats an offense, separates friendship. The one who forgives an offense, Proverbs 17, 9, seeks love. But the one who repeats the offense separates the friendship. So what does that mean? Guess what? In forgiveness, you need to forgive. What forgiveness means is, I'm going to choose not to remember that sin against you anymore. So if you've wronged me and you've said, listen, I've wronged you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you say to the person, yes, I will forgive you. Guess what happens? It's forgiven. It's, it's done. You do not bring it up again. That's freeing. That's really freeing. Because what often happens is when someone sins against us, what do we do? We put it on the pile. That's, that's that sin again. Sin against us again, put it on the pile. And then we put it on the pile and we put it on the pile. And then when they do it again, we bring out and we say, you always do that. And we have years worth of material where we can accuse them. On the April the 8th, you did that. On May the 9th, you did that. On June, you did that. See, I've got this whole list of things. Yet if forgiveness happens in that matter, what happens? The chain breaks. Forgiveness is powerful. And each time you start again. And in friendship, what happens when we truly forgive, we don't bring these matters up again. Because guess what? You're going to frustrate each other as friends. You're going to annoy each other. You're going to let each other down. Because the truth is, we will fail in our friendships. We're not going to be perfect friends. But we need to excel in forgiveness. Friends frustrate each other, wound each other, counsel each other. The last thing I want to say about friendship is this. Friends stick by each other. Proverbs 18.24 says this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
kind of interesting, many companions. You could translate that, many acquaintances. The man or the person who has many acquaintances will come to ruin. And you kind of think, well, actually, that's, that's kind of true. We have a, a lot of surface-level friends. So does that mean I'm in trouble if I just have many acquaintances? Think, think, about, think about the phenomenon of social media right now, right? We have loads of friends. We have loads of followers. We have loads of su- subscribers. And we count that for some foolish reason as true friendship. It's not. It's not. Just because they like a picture doesn't make them a friend. It really doesn't. And so we have this space where we have, we have many, many companions or acquaintances. But in some ways, that's just the reality of life. This is going to happen. Because when you go into your workplace, in your workplace, you'll have many acquaintances. You can't help that. You're not going to be best friends with everybody in your workplace, are you? You're going to have many acquaintances. When you, when you go to the playground and meet all the parents in the playground, you're not going to be best friends with all the parents. You're going to know them as acquaintances. And even just to be honest here, when we come into the church, you're not going to be best friends with everybody. You're not going to know every single person at a very deep level. We're going to have many acquaintances. So does that mean, according to the Proverbs, that I'm going to come to ruin on that? Well, Proverbs, it's, it's, it's not an absolute truth. It's a general truth. And what, it, what it's pointing towards is this. If all you have, if all you have, because we're going to have acquaintances, we're going to have people that we just know. But if all you have is people that you just know in your life, at a surface level, it's going to be hard for you. Life is going to be difficult for you. We need friends that stick closer to us than a brother. And then in the ancient Near East, this brother relationship, brother by blood, it was close. But if you have a true friend, that true friend will stick closer to you than a brother. So why should we pursue this type of friendship? Some of us, our motives are all wrong for our friendships. We want friends because we're lonely. I want a friend because I'm alone and I'm lonely. That's why I want a deep friendship. I want a deep friendship because I'm bored. I just want something to do and I'm bored. Or I want a deep friendship because I want to be popular. There's all sorts of reasons for why we want a deep friendship. But the one reason we should want a deep friendship in our lives... It's not because of how we see ourselves, but is it because of how Christ sees us? See, because many of us in this room think that when Christ sees you, he looks at you and he says, failure. Many of us feel that. Many of us think that when Christ looks at you as a Christian, he looks at you and he says, fool. It's not true. When Christ sees you as a Christian, (laughs) and when he looks at you, he doesn't say failure. He doesn't say fool. He looks at you and he says, friend. My friend. That's who you are to Jesus. 
You are His friend. And that informs and pushes on all of our relationship. He sees me as friend. Unbelievable. That He would call me, Shane Dean, friend. That He would call you His friend. Not failure, not fool, friend. That's who He is to you. You know, He actually likes you. Isn't that wonderful to think? My Jesus, He loves me. He loves me. That captivates our hearts. That's why we sing the song. What a friend I have in Jesus. All my sorrows and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. He's a friend. We can have him. Jesus says this to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And listen to this. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. No, I have called you my friends. That's how Jesus addresses you. If you have trusted in him, if you have believed in him, if you have eternal life in him, he looks at you and he says, friend. And I don't know why someone here who hasn't trusted in Jesus, why you wouldn't want a friend like him. Why you wouldn't come to him today and say, Jesus, I need a friend like you. Jesus, I need someone like you who sticks by me closer than a brother. I need you, Jesus, to forgive me of all of my sin. I need you, Jesus, to stand by me. And if you do, you will have a friend like him. You know what the insult was of Jesus in the day? (laughs) Do you know what they pointed at Jesus and they said about Jesus? Hey, look at him. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's good news for us, isn't it? Because that doesn't mean I need to I need to make myself all good so that he can be my friend. No, Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners, which means Jesus can be the friend of every single one in this room if you would call out to him. What a friend we have in Jesus who sticks closer to us than a brother. And that friend says to us, I give you this command. Go and love one another. That's the fuel for our friendship. That's the motivation for our friendship. That's why we should pursue friendship. We sit here and think friendship should just happen. It should just happen upon me and it should just happen. No. In friendship, we are to pursue it. Are you pursuing friendship? Are you going to say today, I'm going to pursue friendship in this place and in this church. Why? What motivates that? What a friend I have in Jesus. He pursued me. Paul on the Damascus Road, one of us was pointed out on Friday night. 
Um, what was he looking to do? He wasn't looking for a friend. He was looking to kill people. Yet what happened? His friend found him. What were the lads on the beach doing with their nets? They weren't looking for a friend. They were looking for fish. What did they find? The friend came and said, hey, drop your nets. Follow me. Guess what they did? They dropped the nets and followed him. Our friend, the Lord Jesus, he pursued us. Surely that means we should pursue others. May the Lord help us in this. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that many times we feel like fools and failures. And yet you call us friend. What a friend. And Lord, I acknowledge and we acknowledge that we fail as friends. We let people down. And yet we come to you and ask forgiveness today as a friend who forgives and who will not count our sin against us anymore. And I pray that today you would help us to meditate on that true fact that we have you as our friend. Help us pursue one another, counsel one another, wound one another, sharpen one another. And help us, Lord, stick by one another closer than a brother. In your name, amen.